Psalm 40 is where we're going to be in Psalm 40. I know it's not exactly a uh, traditional Easter text, but uh, it's what the Lord laid on my heart. And the past couple weeks, I I just knew this passage was what I needed to speak on. and didn't really start coming together until yesterday. I was getting a little worried, but I hope it's a blessing to you. I want to speak this morning on the subject of shadows of the Savior from Psalm 40, and we're going to end up kind of going through it all, but I want to read it all for a text here. I know there's conscious of time here, but Psalm 40, and beginning in verse number 1, Psalm of David, and it says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside the lies. Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works, which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire, mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy thy law is within my heart. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. I have not hid thy righteousnesses within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. Withhold not thou thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually preserve me. Verse 12. For innumerable evils have compassed me about. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of mine head. Therefore, my heart faileth me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed and come confounded together that seek after my soul to destroy it. Let them be driven backward and put to shame that wish me evil. Let them be desolate for reward for their shame that saith unto me, Aha, aha. Let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. Let such as love thy salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. For I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Thou art my help and my deliverer. Make no tearing, O my God. Now, if I counted correctly, I went back and looked at the sermons I've preached so far this year and I think seven of the twelve have been from the book of Psalms. We've been going through a lot of Psalms. I think people may be about ready for me to move on. But uh, most of those have been fairly practical, fairly, I I would call pastoral. But today I want to look at the Psalms from a little bit different perspective, a prophetic one. Yes, not only are these Hebrew poems here to guide us spiritually, mentally, practically, They also bear record of things to come. Remember that Bible prophecy is pre-written history. God said it, it will happen. 
The most power of the powerful of the prophetic psalms are those that deal with the coming Messiah when Christ would come. Sometimes it's a whole psalm. Sometimes it's just a verse or two. This is made abundantly clear in the New Testament where so many of the prophecies are highlighted. We can find in the Psalms, for instance, the incarnation of Christ in Psalm 8. What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. You can find the worship and the gifts of the wise men alluded to in Psalm 72. They that dwell in the wilderness shall bow before him, and his enemies shall lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish of the isles shall bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts. The alienation from his own family is found in Psalm 69. I am become a stranger unto my brethren and an alien unto my mother's children. Psalm 69, verse 9, there's a picture of the zeal that Christ had. Uh, and it's alluded to when he cleansed the temple. Psalm 69, 9. For the zeal of thine house has eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproacheth thee are fallen upon me. The triumphal entry is alluded to in Psalm 2, or uh, excuse me, Psalm 8 and Psalm 118. Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. Those are the very words that they said at the triumphal entry. That Christ be, would be rejected by his own is seen in Psalm 118. The stone which the builders refused has become the head of the corner. His betrayal at the hands of Judas in Psalm 41. Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. The agony of Gethsemane is in Psalm 69. Save me, O God, for the waters come into my soul. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I am come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary of my crying. My throat is dried. Mine eyes fail while I wait for my God. They that hate me without cause are more than the hairs of mine head. That's fewer and fewer for me every day. They that would destroy me, being mine enemies, wrongfully are mighty. Then I restored that which I took not away. The false witnesses of the trial in Psalm 27, 12. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. The crucifixion is so graphically pictured in Psalm 22. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Thou hast brought me into the dust of the earth, for dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. The gambling for his garments in Psalm 22, 18. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. The gall and vinegar that he was given to drink in Psalm 69, 21. They gave me also gall for my meat. And in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. The very words he cried out from the cross you find in Psalm 22, 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then also in Psalm 31, into thine hand I commit my spirit that none of his bones were broken in Psalm 34, verse 20. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. 
that Christ would not stay dead. We looked at that in Sunday school in, in Psalm 16. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. His ascension in Psalm 68, thou hast ascended on high. Thou hast led captivity captive, thou hast received gifts for men. Yea, for the rebellious also that the Lord God might dwell among them. I could go on, but we're going to get to the Easter egg hunt. There's references to future events in the Psalms also, kind of outside the scope. But I've seen lists of people that have gone through and tried to get all the Messianic prophecies, and, and there's different lists. Some people say 300-something, some people over 500. Even if there's just 500, I think probably at least a quarter of those are going to be in the book of Psalms. It's amazing how many times what Christ will do is brought up in the Psalms. Which brings us to our text this morning, Psalm 40. We know that at least verses 6, 7, and 8 are about Christ because the New Testament sheds that light for us. In Hebrews chapter 10, and we're not going to deal with that usage, but in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 7, these are quoted. And it says that's about Christ. So we're very sure on those. Most agree that, Psalm, that verses 6 through 10 are prophetic. Before and after those verses, it's, it's kind of debated. and I think we can see some shadows that point to Christ in the first verses. and not really sure on the last. I'm going to take a little bit different approach on those. But I want to explore this psalm through that lens of looking at it as talking about Christ. And I think when you do that, you'll see the theme is salvation. I have three observations one from each division. Verses 1 through 4, I want us to see a glimpse of salvation. A glimpse of salvation. Many of the prophecies and psalms are what we call double references. They're, they not only talk about, you know, David's writing this, and it's talking about David, talking about the trouble he has or whatever he's facing, but then there's also a, another application. It's talking about David, and it's talking about Christ. It's an amazing thing how God works that out. They speak practically of the psalmist. They speak prophetically of Christ. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we actually looked at these first verses. We looked at the very human side of them, but I want to look at the divine side now. See Christ upon the cross, the physical agony that he is in. Imagine the weight of the sins of all mankind upon him, the spiritual agony. The weight of all eternity is upon him. Matthew and Mark say that around the ninth hour, that's around three o'clock, that he screams out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Luke records his final words as Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Both are cries that God the Father would accept the payment offered by the Son. Both are cries that God the Father would fulfill his promises to the Son. And you look at verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined unto me and heard my cry. The body of Christ was placed in a tomb, buried. His soul in the grave, that's hell, sheol, it's, it, it, you get in to chase that rabbit. But the place where the Old Testament saints waited for the redemption to be paid. But neither would stay in those places for, for very long because he would rise again. The psalm says, He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay. Raised to die no more, glorified above all, ascended to heaven, 
and you set my feet upon a rock and establish my goings. Praise God that debt was paid. Praise God the grave was conquered. Praise God the Savior lives and reigns. You have put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto God. Praise God that salvation has come to mankind, offered freely to all who will trust, who will believe in Him. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man that maketh the Lord his trust and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Salvation by grace through faith. That's just a glimpse. I see shadows of a cross. I see shadows of an empty tomb in those verses. The, sec the second section, verses 5 through 10, I want us to see the greatness of salvation. <laughs> I like this part. We see the greatness, the grace of God on full display. Verse 5. Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, thy thoughts which are to us were, they cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Webster's dictionary defines the word infinity as an endless or an indefinite number. It's more than can be calculated, more than can be comprehended. Yet when we count the blessings of God, that's the total we come up with, is infinity. There is no end to the goodness of God. But what does God ask for in turn? Well, in verse 6, Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears thou hast opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. You can run by this if you're not careful, by the way, but there's four different words that are used to talk about sacrifice right here. Sacrifice, that's talking about the peace offerings, the thank offerings. These aren't the, the for sin. These are because you're already saved. You're celebrating something. Uh, but you have those offering that that's the meat offering the meal offering the, the flour that they would offer uh, as part of some of these sacrifices the burnt offering those were offered wholly to God the whole thing was his and then you have the sin offering those were the sin the trespass offering the, the shedding of blood for the remission of sins but there's four types of offerings spelled out basically every offering is covered he doesn't just leave it up to us to think, well, which ones? He says, no, all of them. All the offerings. That's not what I wanted. Here he says, that's not what I want. It's easy to miss, but the principle of salvation by grace through faith is right there. God didn't want their offerings. He wanted their hearts. What he truly required was the sacrifice of the spotless lamb upon Calvary. And I like verse 7, because what's the need? Our sacrifices can't save us. Our works can't save us. We need a Redeemer. We need a Savior. And in verse 7, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. That's Christ speaking. I thought of the, the Southern Gospel song, Then I heard a voice say, Father, I'll go. And I'll pay his sin debt in Calvary's flow. I'll bear in my body the marks of the cross to save this child who is sin sick and lost. God told Adam and Eve that the seed of woman would crush the serpent's head. Jacob said that Shiloh would come. Moses said that there would be a prophet that would be raised up. Isaiah said a virgin would conceive and that a son would be born. Zechariah said a king would come. The Old Testament is witness that Christ would come. Low in the volume of the book, it's all there. He's coming. But then what would he do? Well, verses 8, 9, and 10 tell us that. I delight to do thy will, O oh my God. Yea, 
Thy law is written in my heart. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. What did Christ do? Well, he revealed the Father to us, John 1.18. He was the sacrifice for our sins, Hebrews 9.26. He came to destroy the works of the devil, 1 John 3.8. He would leave us a perfect example in 1 Peter 2.21. You cannot look at Christ and say He did not do enough. He perfectly presented, perfectly preached, perfectly revealed God and His love and His will, His compassion, His salvation to us. And the last thing we'll see, verses 11-17, through 17, is the goodness of salvation. These final seven verses, I, I don't see as much about Christ. You, you could make a case. You could. Uh, I, I, I just I, I don't see it as being very clear. Honestly, though, when I'm reading this and looking at it through that, that lens of speaking about Christ, I still think this is practical. I think this is talking about us. This is talking about our relationship with the Savior. We see what the Lord has done. We see His goodness and we respond. Verse 11, Withhold not thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually preserve me. When we see how good God is, say, God, please pour it out. God, give me some more. I, I need some of that grace. I need some of that goodness. When we're in, we're in distress, when we're in danger, we call out to Him. That's verses 12 through 15. The innumerable evils the more than the hairs on my head. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. Make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed to confound it together that seek after my soul to destroy it. Let them be driven backwards. Put to shame uh, that wish me evil. Let them be desolate for reward of their shame that say to me, aha, aha. That idea of those people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Isn't it funny? You know, even back then, they had those things. They're not even really words. But we know what he's saying. It's going, mm hmm. Yep, I, I know. Mm hmm. That's what they're doing. But when we're in danger, we can call out to him. But when it all comes down to it, I like this, the last two verses. When it all comes down to it, we worship him. But all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. But such as love thy salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. But I am poor and needy. Yet the Lord thinketh upon me, thou art my help and my deliverer. Make no tearing, O my God. I like those last two verses because right there is worship in a nutshell. Because the two key elements of worship are found there. We have the Lord magnified and then we have ourselves humbled before Him. That's true worship. True worship must have those two things. I can chase that through a bunch of verses in the Bible. But we lift up His name and we back out of the picture and give Him all the glory, all the honor. We bow, we lay prostrate before Him to give Him all the glory, all the honor. That's true worship. I humble myself and I magnify the Lord. I bow myself and I exalt the Lord as is due for His 
great salvation. I am shocked. I expected this to go much longer, but I'm on my last page. I was really scared with this page count. Y'all aren't complaining, though, I know. A few thoughts. First off, I want to say keep learning about your Savior. Keep learning about your Savior. W.A. Criswell preached and said that there's a scarlet thread throughout the Bible. You touch the Bible anywhere and it bleeds. The story of Christ is everywhere. Heard someone say that if you read a verse and you don't see Christ, go back and reread it because you missed it. I've gotten some genealogies and questioned that a little bit in some places in there. But let me tell you something. The theme is Him. It's all about Him. Lo, in the volume of the book, is written of me. The study is inexhaustible. It's a mind that never gives out. It's a well that never runs dry. The more and more you learn about Him, the more you experience Him, it just keeps getting better and better. As old would say, it keeps getting gooder and gooder. The more you know Him, keep learning. Don't ever think, boy, I've learned it all, I've got it all. You will never learn all about our Savior. We'll spend eternity, and we still won't even understand half of how good He is to us. Second, I want to say remember the wonder of salvation. Musicians, y'all can go ahead and come on up. We're just about done. Remember the wonder of salvation. When I look at this passage, I marvel at that wonderful picture that I see. That God the Son lay aside His glory and the honor come down to dwell in human flesh, to be born of a virgin, a God who the world cannot contain, to dwell in a virgin's womb for nine months, to walk the dusty, rocky roads of Judea and Galilee, to be despised and rejected, to be mocked, to go through one of the worst forms of execution ever devised by humans in the crucifixion the suffering, the anguish, and not just the physical side. And there's books I can tell you about the doctors go through and say, well, this would happen, this would happen, this would happen. It's awful. But to think about the weight of our sins upon Him, to think about that price that He paid, think about the debt that I owed, that my sins, my sins put Him there. That even if I had been the only human to ever exist, He still would have done it out of His love for me. And He still would have done it because of my sin debt. It's amazing to think about. I tell you what, we, we don't think too much about our sin. We don't like to think about our shortcomings. But our sins put our Savior there. He did that to pay the price for us. Also need to remember when we're talking about the wonders, I think you need to remember that victory. We talked about that this morning over at Sweetwater. We don't have to fear the penalty of sin. We don't have to fear one day even the presence of sin. We'll be free from all this. The victory we have through Christ. But never get over the wonder of salvation. And last, simple question. Is He your Savior? Even though he won the victory, it does not immediately become ours. You cannot earn this victory on your own either. 
There's nothing you can do to earn. There's nothing you can do to blot one sin from off our record. It's not the celestial scales and good and evil. That's not how it works. Just knowing about the victory is not enough. <laughs> Sometimes my wife will I'll tell my wife, say, I got a headache. Would you take anything? Well, no. I mean, I know Tylenol would help. But just knowing it doesn't do me any good. Just knowing that Christ died is not enough. Being around those that have it is not enough. It doesn't rub off on you. It's not really contagious. It's not like COVID. It's not like the flu. You don't just catch it from somebody. No, you need Him as your Savior personally. Personally. Romans 10, verse 9, puts it just, encapsulates it so well, so brief, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. With our heart we believe, we trust, we admit that we are sinners. We admit that that price that we need to pay, the penalty we're under, we can't we can't do it. We can't handle it. But we accept that Christ paid that for us. On the cross, the victory He won at the tomb, and that we, through our faith in Him, He will apply that price to our debt. Our debt can be wiped away through the blood of Christ. Our sins, which were scarlet, washed whiter than snow. Thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's what we're celebrating today. We're not just, well, there's a lot of great holidays out there that celebrate things, celebrate momentous acts in history. This isn't just that all eternity hinges on what Christ did. All eternity hinges on what Christ did, that he died. Do you know him as your Savior this morning? The most important question we can ask ourselves, do I know Him as my Savior? If you don't, let's get it settled. Let's get it settled this morning. We have a time of invitation here. If you'll stand, we'll have a time of invitation. Come down and pray. If you don't know your, uh, that heaven is your home, that Christ is, is your Savior, that your sins are washed away, come down. We'll get somebody to talk with you. Or if you just need to spend some time just thanking Him for His goodness. Praising Him for the greatness of what He did for us. We'll do that here in this time of invitation. What number, Owen? 318. 318 in the, in the Baptist Hymnal, the great books there, if you want to sing along with the invitation film. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You so much for this day, all that it represents. And Lord, as we celebrate this time, as we celebrate our risen Savior, the fact that the price was paid and the victory was ensured, we thank you for that salvation that he brings to each and every one of us. Lord, the greatness of our Savior, no matter how we look at it, from whatever angle, from the prophecies of the Old Testament to the details of the Gospels to the theology of the epistles, it all amazes us. We marvel at your love. We marvel at the sacrifice. Lord, let us never get over what happened to buy our salvation. Lord, just press these truths in our hearts. Help us to love you ever the more. Help us to marvel ever the more. And help us to worship you ever the more for what you've done for us. 
speak to our hearts, challenge us, I pray, in this invitation time. In thy holy name, I pray. Amen.